Sometimes I like to imagine the world after us, the strange mammals that will emerge, the abundance of biodiverse plant life taking over our fields and factories and so on. I don't think this world will be better. I maintain that we are the most interesting thing to happen on Earth, and there is real beauty and meaning in our curiosity and compassion, even as we also cause and witness so much suffering. But at any rate, there will be a world after us, after each of us. And that's why there's life insurance. It exists to provide a financial safety net to those who love and count on you. Policy Genius's technology makes it easy to compare life insurance quotes from America's top insurers in just a few clicks to find your lowest price. With Policy Genius, you can find life insurance policies that start at just $292 per year for $1 million of coverage. Some options offer same-day approval and avoid unnecessary medical exams. So save time and money and provide your family with a financial safety net using Policy Genius. Head to policygenius.com or click the link in the description to get your free life insurance quotes and see how much you could save. That's policygenius.com. Policy Genius, because there will be a world without us. Hello, and welcome to Dear Hank and John. Or as I prefer to think of it, Dear John and Hank. We are here on a rooftop deck in Madison, Wisconsin. We're actually at the Madison Contemporary Art Museum, which has excellent shows if you happen to be in or near Madison, Wisconsin. We're on the road right now, but we're not going to let that stop us from making a quiet and somewhat subdued and and possibly illicit version of Dear Hank and John. At some point, we think a security guard is going to come up here and kick <laughs> us off of the roof deck. But in the meantime, we're going to start out here on the roof. With a sculpture garden. John. Yeah. How do you kill an elephant? With an elephant gun. How do you kill a blue elephant? Gun? I know all of these jokes. <laughs> I have a child. Two of them, in fact, with a blue elephant gun. Yeah. How do you kill a red elephant? You have to choke it till it's blue, and then you shoot it with a blue elephant gun. How do you kill a green elephant? You have to embarrass it until it's red, choke it till it's blue, and then shoot it with a blue elephant gun. How do you kill a (laughs) yellow elephant? I don't know. There are no yellow elephants, you idiot. (laughs) That's good. It's good. How do elephants hide in cherry trees? How do elephants hide in cherry trees? They have to paint their testicles red. (laughs) What's the loudest noise in the jungle? What is the loudest noise in the jungle? A monkey <laughs> taking a bite out of a cherry. <laughs> uh, this is definitely appropriate conversation for How do you Madison yeah. Contemporary Art Museum. Yeah. How do you know that there's an elephant in your refrigerator? You can't. Foot- no, footprints in the butter. Footprints in the butter. <laughs> That's one of my kids' favorite yeah. jokes. They just, they can't get enough of it. They say foot, they can barely get out the words footprints in the butter before they start laughing. <laughs> oh, there's a truck that's coming by. I don't know if y'all can hear that. It's, and a it's, plane, too. It's both a truck and a plane. We're being attacked from above and below, not to mention the nearby crickets. It's, it's a soundscape. It's what they call in the radio business the soundscape. 
I don't know if you can hear the wind, but there's also a very pleasant wind just wafting past us. Gentle wind and a cricket nearby as well. This is the opposite of your usual episode of Dear Hank and John. What we're really trying to get you to do is just calm down. The world is loud and a little terrifying, but there are still crickets. There is still wind on the face. And there are still apparently abandoned public spaces where you can just sit and see no one. This is a really good art museum, and I'm kind of bummed out that there aren't more people here right now. It seems like the time. It's perfect Uh, time for this. Please come to the Madison Contemporary Art Museum. It's great. John, this first question comes from Kyle, who asks, Dear Hank and John, I'm studying chemistry at university, and I love it, especially when I got to talk about my research with others. My parents both work in marketing and have accepted that much of what I'm studying goes clear over their heads. But nonetheless, they're generally interested in what I do. When I tell them about a new project I'm working on, every time they ask without fail, are you safe? Yeah. There are many systems in play in my lab to keep me safe while I work with my nasty little friends, but I worry that the words flesh-eating bacteria will override my parents' interest in my work. Mm, Yeah, I mean, they certainly override my interest in your work, Kyle. (laughs) I was all on board with an answer where I was going to say, oh, Kyle, your parents (laughs) love you and they just want... Kyle, get the hell out of that lab! (laughs) Uh, Kyle actually came to see us in Madison, so... oh. Thanks for coming. Nice to see you last night, Kyle. I hope that uh, you had a good time. Is there another way to communicate the gravity and excitement of my research on flesh-eating bacteria that won't cause my parents worry? Well, you gotta create a euphemism for flesh-eating bacteria, Mm -hmm. just like skin-munching bacteria. I was gonna say something that's adequately technical that your parents won't also won't understand what it means. Yeah, like uh, it's not the technical name. Necrotic fasciosis. Oh God, that also—that's worse. It does sound bad. Is necrotic fasciosis a thing? If, if it is, it's it, similar. You know about a thing called necrotic fasciosis. The words ring a bell in my head, but I don't know exactly what they mean. You know? Yeah. I've done a lot of googling over the years. <laughs> you had a zit one day. Yeah. And you were like, I I know. <laughs> there there aren't a lot of disease processes I haven't researched at least a little. So, Kyle, the answer to your question is that you got to talk about your work in a way that's adequately vague. Mm -hmm. So when I ask Hank to explain concepts to me in the sciences, which I genuinely have a third or fourth grade level understanding of. But also an interest in. But also an interest in. It's the same way I feel about skateboarding. (laughs) Very interested in it. Not a lot of talent for it. Yeah. I, I I usually ask Hank to to simplify more, and then if I need him to simplify less, that makes me feel good. So <laughs> I would start with being like, so listen, Mom and Dad, there are, believe it or not, things that are alive that are too small to see. And just go from there. <laughs> or Or Kyle, maybe you can convince your parents that you don't have flesh. Oh. And be like, no, I'm immune. No, don't worry about it, Mom and Dad. I am, as it happens, an artificial intelligence. Yeah, when you sign up to work in this lab, they replace all your flesh. That's the first step. (laughs) They took out all my parts. This next question comes from Elliot, who writes, Dear John and Hank, I live in a small house with six other college students. We love each other a lot, and I'm very grateful to this found family that we've built together. Oh, that's great, Elliot. However, one of my housemates really wants to get a crock pot, an idea that I hate. I have no idea why I can't stand the thought of having a crock pot in one of our cabinets. How do I tell my housemate that they cannot under any circumstances purchase a crock pot? 
I think that you may be confused about what a crock pot is. It's not just like the shoes. What? It's not like just pot for those crock shoes, the sandals. Oh, yeah. It's not just for cooking crocks. <laughs> no. It's, 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 it's for it's, cooking lots of different things. Yeah. The other thing that I'm concerned about, Elliot, is that you might think that a crock pot is some sort of like a uh, very small nuclear weapon. Or, or a drug thing for yeah, meth. Yeah, it's not. It's not. <laughs> uh, a crock pot is uh, just a way of... Uh, just an item for cooking food. Maybe Is it better if you call it a slow cooker? Because they started doing that. And they were like, I don't think people like the word crock pot. I think people are upset by the word crock pot. The crock pot people. Yeah. And they then the people were like, I, re- I know what's up. We should call it a slow cooker. Which to me is like, I also hate this because I want food pretty much immediately the moment I start to cook it. Well, the great thing about a slow cooker, though, is you just like put it in the slow cooker. You go to work, you come back, and it's all... Whatever. Cooked. People who can think that far ahead astound me. Oh, I can think that far ahead. I, I love to plan out what I'm going to eat in a day. It's one of the highlights of my day. Oh, man. All right, so what you're going to do, Elliot, is you're going to let your housemate get the crock pot. <laughs> yeah, because so you you're being the, you're the weird one here. Uh, no offense. Don't ruin your amazing found family over a crock pot. Like, I can't, <laughs> I literally can't think you, of a worse reason. Yeah, you, you seem really into your found family. I think yeah. that you should support them. I feel like Hank is much further from the mic than me. I feel the opposite. Let's just have some quiet time real quick. Let's just oh, listen to the sounds. Yeah. You know what I was thinking about? Mm. I was thinking about how this place must have been amazing and full of birdsong before people ruined it. I was thinking about how the cricket was listening to us and was like, okay, I will also be quiet. <laughs> <laughs> I got the message, guys. We're having quiet time. I'm in. I like it. I've been, I've been working so hard all morning. Thank you for five minutes off. Alex says, Dear Hank and John, I finished the first draft of the first novel I've ever written about a month ago. Congratulations. And this novel, I'm this novel. And I'm this novel. Oh, God. Wait, (laughs) this person is inside of the book. Hank, it's happening. (laughs) He put himself in. Metafiction has gotten so metafictional that now somebody is trapped in there. And they can email, though, so that's nice. Well, yeah, of course, they have access to text, but that's all they have access to. (laughs) So I think what they mean to say is, in this novel, I based the main character off myself, because why wouldn't I? Almost immediately, I sent it to my best friend. She told me that she loved the book but hated the main character. Hmm. (laughs) How should I deal with this information? (laughs) Does she secretly hate me? Or is it just the way I've portrayed myself? Pumpkins and penguins, Alex. I think many different things could be happening here. One is that we imagine ourselves differently than people around us imagine us. And we tend to be more negative about how we imagine many people, probably most people, tend to imagine themselves more negatively than the people around them do. I think that's fair to say. I think that is probably going on. I don't think that your friend finds you annoying. I think your friend found this character annoying for the character's choices. And even if a lot of times, at least in my early experience writing, when I when I wrote sort of autobiographically, even when I would write about characters, I felt like I knew intimately because I felt like pretty closely connected to them. Mm-hmm. They would still make different choices from the choices I would make because they would make like narrative choices. Right. <laughs> because it would be important to the plot. Yeah. Yeah. And so like they would do things that I wouldn't do that maybe weren't likable. Yeah. Because I wanted the character to come across a certain way. The real question is, did you intend for the main character not to be likable? Because if not, that may be a problem. Or it may just be one reader read it that way. Yeah. I, I also think that we sometimes 
hope for more out of book characters than out of real people. That's true too. And then when when book characters act like real people, we're like, well, that that I'm analyzing that in a way that I wouldn't with a real person. Yeah. Um, and I like you know I find oftentimes when when characters are portrayed realistically, they start to be like people say like that that was an unsympathetic character, and I'm like, well, no, I mean like we all make bad decisions. Yeah, I I don't know when we introduced this idea that characters exist primarily on a likability unlikability uh, <laughs> spectrum. Yeah, like that's yeah, yeah, yeah. Because I don't find that spectrum that interesting or that mm. important. Like, is Hamlet likable? Is not the most interesting question that Hamlet has to offer us. Yeah, I think that there's a lot of uh, sort of superheroes in fiction, and when it's yeah. when the person isn't Jason Bourne, it's right. like, oh, well, I want to, I kind of want to see like an ideal person not like a real person yeah and th- that has its place i just think yeah, that absolutely i want room for lots of different kinds of reading and lots of different kinds of storytelling and i worry that when we put everything on that axis of likability unlikability we lose a lot of the richness of what story can do for us yeah this next question comes from Veronica, who asks, Liebe Grünbrüder. Was oh, that yeah. good German? That, I mean, it was the best. I, I, are you fluent? <laughs> I moved out of my best friend's... Do you, know, do you know what it means? I imagine it says, it means, dear Green Brothers. I think it means, hello, idiots. <laughs> I moved out of my best friend's and my shared flat last year because I had the chance to get my own place uh, close to my work, so I did. My best friend was fine with it, saying that she'd just get another roommate. And sometime later, she told me that a girl called Katrin would move into my old room. However, I've never seen Katrin at the flat or any proof of her existence. Yeah. I've even asked my friend if her roommate was a ghost. And she only laughed a bit too loudly for my taste. Mm, ghost roommate. So, does my best friend actually live with a ghost? Of course. <laughs> no, what's happened is that your roommate has cracked the ultimate roommate code, which my friend Shannon and I cracked in yeah. the year 2002. I still remember the day. Um, we were interviewing potential new roommates, mm-hmm. and Dan, the architect, came over, and mm-hmm. he interviewed. And I hope, I hope, Dan, you'll forgive me for telling this story. <laughs> he said, listen, I am Catholic. And uh, my girlfriend is Catholic, and our four parents are Catholic, and therefore, I need to rent a room in an apartment. (laughs) And we were like... my parents look at my finances. And we were like, so you're saying that you're going to use this room only when your parents visit. And he was like, correct. And I was like, welcome to the family. (laughs) (laughs) You still have to do the dishes once a week, though. I mean, Dan spent maybe five nights in that apartment in three years. Holy crap. And he paid his... We felt bad charging him a third of the rent, but he was like... Well, that's the thing. You could have somebody else paying a third of the rent. You need that third of the rent. Right. You have to. Yeah. Oh, my God. I love it. Yeah. So that's what's happened. She cracked the roommate code. She cracked the roommate code, or... Well, the thing about ghosts is they never pay rent. No, they're, they're terrible with that. That's at, like, 100% of the time. Or, Though, or when they do, they pay, they t- they're like, oh, I, I only have ghost currency on me. Right. Absolutely. Like, oh, it's just God, like, I've heard that just, before. They just, like, pay it all in pennies all right. from the 1800s. Yeah, oh, no, you... I don't have I don't have cash for you, but I do have this uh, 19th century blood spattered dress. <laughs> oh, great, 
Thanks. Got, I've got this out-of-tune piano. Yeah, I'll take that to the pawn shop, see what I can get for it. Just drop it from the ceiling every once in a while <laughs> for you. <laughs> can a ghost be like my roommate in college and accidentally leave a piece of chicken between the newspapers and the recycling for three months? Hmm. I mean, no, is because they don't exist. <laughs> <laughs> yes, and. <laughs> Sorry, I want, uh, Okay, yes, ghosts can leave chicken, and I hate improv. Both are true. I had a Big Mac under the bed of my freshman dorm that arrived under the bed of my freshman dorm in October and departed from under the bed of my freshman dorm the day that I moved out of that dorm in mm -hmm. May. Mm -hmm. It was a seven-month Big Mac. That's amazing. It was a dark time. I am so glad you made it through, John. Oh, oh that me. What a weirdo. All right, let's answer this question from Sydney. I don't know if this is our mom or a different <laughs> Sydney. But Sydney writes, Dear John and Hank, how did conspiracy theories get created and circulated before the internet? Like, now we have Reddit and Tumblr and fake Instagram videos for it. But how did conspiracy theories get bigger than a few people before the internet? P. Sherman, 42 Wallaby Way, Sydney. So, <laughs> it's, a, it's a top class <laughs> finding Dory joke. Oh, good. So I was just at the farmer's market here in Madison, Wisconsin, and there were a number of people who wanted me to stop by their booths uh, talking, they weren't really booths. I think that they are sort of free speech in it down there, mm -hmm. talking about one thing or another. Um, and that's not really an internet activity. They were really, there was a, a, a dinosaur found at the bottom of the deep sea that disproves evolution. And oh. They wanted me to know about it. Right. So there's that strategy. Mm -hmm. There's a phrase called getting on your soapbox that comes from people really standing on soapboxes yep. and saying whatever they wanted to say, which sometimes would be like people need human rights, including the right to free expression, and sometimes would be like the moon landing was fake. Yeah. And so in a world of free expression, you have all of those voices together. And then, and then once information started to be distributed differently, all of those vehicles were used for disseminating incorrect information. That was the case in newspapers. Mm -hmm. Newspapers would, many newspapers fostered conspiracy theories. It was the case in on radio, like oh even, god, early even, radio, oh, was so AM like a, radio, yeah. AM radio during our childhoods, like, that's how you found out that, like, Nixon was married to an alien and, yeah. and, and Nixon's daughter was half alien. And it's the same, you know, like, it's, it's funny to be like, how did you, ideas spread before the Internet? Same way. Like, books, people wrote books about how the Kennedy assassination was faked and people talked about it and, like, information spreads. Like, yeah. it doesn't, it, like, information spreads more efficiently now, yes, right. but it always spread. And, like, the story of the human is, like, the story of being able to spread information more efficiently and quickly. Right. And that's really the thing that, like, freaks me out about right now the most. Uh, like, you can say that, like, weapons technologies are kind of the scariest thing, but communications technologies are the thing that shifts society the most. And we've never had a revolution in communications technologies like we are having right now. I think we have had one before, but it was also very, very destabilizing, and it was when the printing press was introduced. Yeah. 
mean, within 50 years of the introduction of the printing press, the number of books uh, went up by like a factor of a million or something yeah. <laughs> crazy like that. And it was very destabilizing. I think that we are going through a weird time and it is partly because our, our ways of technology are changing. And that means the systems that we've built up over the last few centuries to kind of deal with incorrect or misleading or sensationalized information, those systems aren't working very well right now because those systems are built for communication strategies that most people aren't using. I remember when I was a kid, somebody gave me, like, I was walking around mm -hmm. Lake Eola. Oh, yeah, this happened to me, too. In Orlando, yeah. and somebody gave me a, a book that was essentially like a book of conspiracy theories. Yeah. And 12-year-old me just ate it up. Mm -hmm. Like, I remember one of them was that Stephen Hawking, the physicist, um, had actually died in, in 1972 and had been replaced with a different physicist. And the evidence for it seemed so overwhelming and obvious when it was presented mm -hmm. in this conspiracy yeah. theory format. Mm -hmm. And you see how, especially in a world of lots and lots of data, you see how you can find data points that support your feeling that there are like big forces at work in the world trying to make things bad for you. Yeah. Yeah. And I think like it's very appealing to be able to think you know something big that other people don't. It's sort of like a shortcut to being powerful. Right. Or at least in your own sort of like com comfortable in your own power. And it's sort of a shortcut to feeling smart. Yeah. Well, you're in on something that other people yeah. don't know about. Mm -hmm. It's the, our, the the phrase in our childhood was sheeple, you know that like yeah they still use that one. Do they still say yeah. that? Sorry, I haven't. I'm, I'm not I'm not familiar with the, what the kids are doing. <laughs> this is a really important question, John. That I don't think that we have really covered okay. adequately. That people it probably uh, many people have it. Dear Hank and John, I was recently scrolling through your most popular Vlogbrothers videos and noticed that nine of the fourteen of your top videos have to do with giraffe mating or another type of animal. Yeah. I found this particularly odd, as you have both made, in my opinion, much more interesting content. So Agreed. I guess my question is, why are your most viewed videos all about giraffe sex? Who finds that appealing? Giraffes and geraniums, Christina. Who finds that appealing? First of all, giraffes are fascinating. And giraffe mating habits are especially fascinating because male giraffes hit female giraffes in the bladder and then drink their pee to yeah. find out if they're ovulating. Like, that's the kind of stuff that in 2007, America's 14-year-olds found irresistible. Yeah, no, not just America either. We were, that, that video was huge all over the world. It's true. It's really our only global hit. <laughs> it's the only time we've really broken out of the English-speaking world. So, Christina, one of the things that you'll notice if you look at a giraffe is you'll think to yourself, wait, how? Yes, what? right. And so I think that's part of it. People sitting around a table, just like we are right now at a contemporary art museum, will talk about giraffes and be like, wait, but no, how does that work? Yeah. And then they Google it and our video comes up. Right. And it's the same thing with the other animals. So back when Hank and I were trying to get lots of YouTube views. <laughs> it was very interesting to try and do that. Yeah, it was, it was a, exciting. It was a good game. It felt, yeah, it felt like a, it, it felt it felt important in a way that, <laughs> frankly, today it doesn't. Yeah. But back when we were really obsessed with that, we noticed, of course, that people responded to these videos, and the videos that they responded the most to were the ones with weird mating habits, but more than that, the ones with, like, anatomies that would make you say, how? Wait. What? Does that 
like tortoises, mm-hmm. etc. Yeah, and also there was a time when YouTube rewarded a click much more than it rewarded a watch. Yes. So a lot of people clicked on the thumbnail just because they wanted to watch a giraffe do it. And then, and then they, they were like, oh, this man is talking about giraffe sex. I'm not really interested in the details. I just want to see it happen. Right, right. That's very true. The other thing, though, is that there is a small subset of viewers of those videos, um, one of whom left a comment that is seared in my memory in a way that no other YouTube comment ever has oh, been. No. Um, can you please do more videos of animals kissing and other? <laughs> it's the and other. <laughs> That I can never forget. I really like it. The last thought I'll ever have will be, and And other. (laughs) All of my other memories will be gone. I'll be alone in a nursing home, and my eyes will flash open, and those will probably be my accidental last words. And other. And other are actually pretty good last words, but not in in that that context. context. (laughs) No, no one will know. Everyone will have forgotten, and then someday someone will listen to this podcast and be like, oh, you guys thought it was some deep thing. No, he was thinking about giraffes boning. Right, yeah. (laughs) It'll be like the rosebud of my life. By the way, I uh, I just watched Citizen Kane. Mm -hmm. I know that it's the best movie of all time, but it is very good. Like, everybody talks about how it's the best movie of all time. Yeah. And so I assumed that, like, that it was going to be kind of torture to watch. Right. But it was great. <laughs> it was really, it, it is really good. I get why Maybe people are psyched about it. it. Oh, it's really good. Man. I've had the thing spoiled. It's not, like the, uh, it's not like the sixth Harry Potter movie or anything. Like, the spoilers to Citizen Kane are, are not especially devastating. Which reminds me, actually, Hank, that today's podcast is brought to you by Citizen Kane. Citizen Kane. John recommends it. This podcast is also brought to you by your ghost roommate. <laughs> Always a little bit late with the rent. Always late on the rent. And and also inflation is so much that they just oh. can't get it together. Yeah, it's just, just been like, a lot. What do I what do you what do you need? I got 12 cents. <laughs> that's that's a lot, right? Yeah, in my day, that could buy you a Model T and a Picasso. <laughs> Today's podcast is also brought to you by the Madison Museum of Contemporary Art. The Madison Museum of Contemporary Art, the unwitting hosts to our episode of Dear Hank and John. (laughs) And this podcast is brought to you by Skin Munchy Bacteria. Skin Munchy. This episode of Dear Hank and John is brought to you by Thrive Market. Thrive Market is there to help you maintain the kinds of habits that you want to have. For me, I need to have the right kind of food in the house or I will eat whatever. Oreo recently sent me some free fancy Oreos. They were weird. I ate all of them. I ate all of them in a week and it was a problem. I can't do that. I need to have healthy, good stuff in the house and Thrive Market can help you have healthy habits. It's a great go-to for all your grocery and household essentials and the convenience of getting everything online and then like just quickly shipped to the doorstep. It's a huge time saver. Thrive Market carries brands with great ingredients and sourcing methods. They got Amy's, Banza, Burt's Bees, Chobani, Honest Kids, Kind, Mike's Hot Honey, Oatly, Olipop, Poppy, Salt. I've never heard of salt, but it's got two A's in it, so it has to be good. And as a Thrive Market member, you can save money on every single grocery order. On average, you can save over 30% every time. And they also have a deals page that changes every day. When you join Thrive Market, you are also helping a family in need with their one-for-one membership matching program. You join, they give. Join in on the savings with Thrive Market today and get 30% off your first order, plus a $60 free gift. I enjoyed my $60 free gift. I was surprised by it, and it was the kind of thing I wouldn't have bought. And then now I'm, like, on the ghee train. They gave me free ghee. And I was like, I don't know what ghee is. But then I was like, oh, this is great. It's like butter, but it's different. 
and more spreadable. Go to thrivemarket.com slash dearhank for 30% off your first order, plus that free $60 gift. That's thrive, T-H-R-I-V-E, market.com slash dearhank, thrivemarket.com slash dearhank. Bacteria, it's cute. Necrosis. John, this question actually comes from our show last night. We didn't get to it, but it was somebody in the audience who sent this one in. It's from Trisha who asks, Dear Hank and John, Mamma Mia is my favorite movie, and it's slowly becoming my only personality trait. How can I stop (laughs) relating every situation in my life to the plot or songs of Mamma Mia? That being said, my ambulance song would be SOS by ABBA. (laughs) (laughs) Here's the thing. This is actually a pretty easy one to solve, because I've been in this boat before where you love something so much that it becomes difficult to talk or think about anything else. Yeah. So the key to this solution is watching the movie Mamma Mia 2, Here We Go Again. <laughs> because then like, you'll never you'll never talk about Mamma Mia again. I like is it here we go again here I go here we go again? I, I believe it's called Mamma Mia 2, Here We Go Again. Here we go. Yeah, uh, I guess but it is. But the subtitle should have been Mamma Mia 2, All the Dads. Every Dad. <laughs> The subtitle should have been Mamma Mia 2, Hank actually didn't realize that the dads were going to show up. And that 100% surprised him so much and he cried. I'm concerned that I might have stolen that joke. Okay. I'm searching for Mamma Mia 2, all the dads, and I'm not seeing anything. But if I stole that joke, I'm sorry to whoever I stole it from. (laughs) But... Do you ha- have this in your life sometimes where you get so into something that yes. everything seems to relate to it? That's the music video for S- Smash Mouth All-Star. All-Star. Of course, for me, it's usually a breakup. <laughs> you know? <laughs> yeah. Like, I'm sure you remember this, Hank. Yeah, like, yeah, after yeah. my big breakups for six, six months to a year, mm-hmm. no matter what someone said, I would be like, oh, that reminds me of my heartbreak, which is ongoing <laughs> and omnipresent. <laughs> One time I saw someone open a car door, and I thought to myself, she opened a car door just like that. <laughs> oh, my God. So that's the key, though, is just get your heart broken and you'll stop thinking about Mama yeah. Mia. <laughs> As we have said before, diversify your identity. Diversify. There is more in the world than Mama Mia. <laughs> this next question comes from Iris, who we did meet last night, I remember. Yes, they were nice. Uh, Iris, it was great to meet you. Who asked, Dear Hank and John, how would fandoms and online communities be impacted by a devastating worldwide apocalypse-level event? Oh, that is a great question. <laughs> that How would different fandoms respond to the apocalypse? Yeah. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to reveal my bias here and say that I, I genuinely think the Harry Potter fandom would... Yeah, come, come together. Come together and, like, work... They do this. They do the spell that goes up into the sky, and they be like, "Everybody gather around." Yes, I think it's called periculum, which is something that I that's, shouldn't know. That's a deep cut. Yeah. <laughs> then you gather at Joe Rowling's house. Hey, we're big fans. <laughs> We've heard you, we hear you have stuff. <laughs> you, uh, we believe you have resources, uh, which are now in short supply. <laughs> um, then there's the like contemporary young. Usually oh, no. shirtless YouTuber. Oh, no. oh, no. Yeah, where the guy is like, So, y'all, wild day yesterday, right? So many people died. It was like super sad. Hey, everybody, what's up? Uh, really, I mean, half the human race gone in one. Yeah, it's crazy. So, merch link in the bio. <laughs> but, uh, man, I just, it's a tough, tough day for everybody. But, you know, if we're looking at it honestly, also kind of a great day, right? Uh, maybe a good day to get a Today is a Great Day t-shirt. 
I think I think the uh, AM radio fandom would do really well. Oh God, they would. <laughs> I mean, the AM radio people would just be. They would get on on AM radio and they would be like, "I told you so." Oh my God, I've been talking about this for fifty years. It's fine. They would have that like weird glee that sometimes mm-hmm. people have when bad things happen right. that they've been predicting. Oh yeah. That's the worst thing about thinking something bad is going to happen, is that when it happens, you're like, see? And it's like, I shouldn't have a good feeling today. No, you don't want to be, you, you, no. you never want to be gloating in the face of tragedy. No, never. It's the, it's the worst look. Yep. But no, I think the AM radio community would crush it. Also crushing it, of course, the survivalists who would live an extra three weeks, but then <laughs> still die like the rest of us. <laughs> yeah. I think that Iris... You are optimistic about the ability of internet systems to survive an apocalyptic event. Yeah. The cloud would cease to be cloudy very rapidly. Right. One of the weird things that would happen is that the last YouTube video, it's very possible that the last YouTube video would have absolutely nothing to do with whatever the cataclysmic event was. The last YouTube video ever uploaded might be somebody like, Hey, you'll never guess what my cat did today. Yeah. And then, like, click. Oh, well, look, uh, I think that we're not going to go extinct as a species. Yeah, I do sometimes feel like I need to reassure people about this because yeah. there there is this eschatological anxiety mm-hmm. that I, I remember... I remember happening before. I remember it happening in the 1980s when I was a kid and we would have to do these drills where we literally got under our desks Mm -hmm. to prepare for a nuclear bomb attacking Orlando, Florida. Yeah. And there was an expectation that at some point in the next few decades there would be a cataclysmic nuclear war. And there was a lot of anxiety about the end of the human species and people feeling like they didn't want to have kids when the human species was about to end. And now we are facing a lot of that same anxiety. And I do not in any way want to minimize our problems because I think our problems are real. And in some cases they are existential. But I also think that we are not about to go extinct. Civilization is not about to end barring something, you know, very unforeseen like a you know, yellow meteorite, meteorite or Yellowstone supervolcano super yeah. or a disease that spreads quickly through the world because we refuse to fund primary healthcare systems in impoverished countries because we don't think that people are people. Short of that, I really do think we are going to be able to adjust. Mm. Every other time people thought the world was about to end, and they have thought it many, many times, they have been wrong. Now, eventually they will be right, but not today. <laughs> So the wind, uh, the wind's starting to pick up, as you may be hearing, uh, and that means that it's time for the news from Mars and AFC Wimbledon. Hank, I'll go first. AFC Wimbledon played maybe the only team in League One that's definitely worse than us. Accrington Stanley got a red card, and we tied. <laughs> We tied. We got our first point of the season. There's two ways of looking at this. One way is that after three games, we've only got one point. Another way is that we are in 18th place, well out of the relegation zone, uh, in no small part thanks to Barry and Bolton Wanderers having respectively negative 12 and negative 11 points. So, AFC Wimbledon not doing well. Definitely alarm bells going off. I I would say at this point we're looking at a level nine crisis, so it's not catastrophic, it's not cataclysmic, but boy, I want to stay in League One for one more season. And the news from Mars, John, Elon Musk 
really apparently wants to nuke Mars. Yes, it's back. It's a sign of it's a sign of the tremendous stability he has as an executive and as a person. <laughs> he just tweeted, "Nuke Mars," uh, with an exclamation point. Mm. Uh, it's got 239,000 likes, so apparently that's how you get big on Twitter. It's just you want to nuke Mars. Of course, the plan to nuke Mars is to introduce a lot of energy to the system, potentially evaporating a lot of the carbon dioxide ice, which would create a larger greenhouse effect, which would increase the overall warmth of the planet, and also potentially the atmospheric pressure, which would make it easier to live on the planet. It certainly wouldn't make it so that we could like walk around or anything. That's the idea. No one has any idea if it would work, but there's only one way to find out, which is to <laughs> nuke Mars. <laughs> I mean... Can I just say on a personal note that if we nuke Mars before sending people to Mars, that will be the most, both the most Elon Musk thing imaginable and the most human thing imaginable. <laughs> that like, all right, we do, we do want to settle this planet, but first, nukes. <laughs> like, I understand the reasoning behind it, but it just seems to me like we don't have nearly enough information to make yeah. that even a remotely good idea. Yeah, well, uh, we've never engineered a planetary system, uh, except for the once. We're doing it a little bit right now here yeah, on Earth. Yeah, uh, and Not on purpose, but it's yeah, happening. Yeah. Uh, my worry is that if we nuked Mars and it worked, we'd just nuke everything else. <laughs> like, nuke Jupiter. Hashtag Jup nuke Jupiter. Nuke Jupiter. Hashtag nuke the sun. <laughs> <laughs> it worked on Mars. Maybe we could live everywhere. <laughs> hi. Oh, hey, come you over and say hi. Podcast. Yeah, so that's that's the news from Mars. Uh, we've oh, we've we we've just been spotted by some friendly people <laughs> who I think are going to come over and uh, say a quick hello. Hold on. <laughs> come say hi. What's your name? Unbelievable, Taylorator. Hi. Taylor, nice to meet you. How's hi. it going? Hi, I'm Hank. Hi, Annika. Nice to meet you. How's it going? Good. How are you guys? Good. Good. How's the art museum? I feel like I've seen your necklace before. Oh. I mean, I, I didn't not. Know where it's from, actually. Oh, it's cool. <laughs> well, Thank we're, you. We're checking it out. I haven't really got to go to the exhibits yet. It's really nice. Oh yeah, yeah. You're I not allowed to, to take the take take it in there. Uh, do you think we should nuke Mars? Oh, Elon Musk. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. He's um, he's informed. Yes. I don't think it'll work because I think it'll evaporate over time and it won't actually form an atmosphere. It's, it's kind of yeah. Science I read on it. Oh wow, he's he's up to date. We've got Taylor doing, knows Taylor knows way more than we do. Maybe, maybe, right maybe, maybe we should replace Tank with Taylor. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. We don't mean to interrupt. Yeah. You guys. No. Well, it's great to meet you. Really yeah. a pleasure. Yeah. Nice meeting you guys. Yeah. yeah. Take care. Yeah. Thank Bye. you. And with that, John, thank you for potting with me today. It's been a pleasure. And also thanks to Taylor and Annika for dropping by. Yeah, absolutely. If you want to send us your questions, you can do that at hankandjohn at gmail.com. Thank you to everybody who sends them in. We had a great show in Madison yesterday. Uh, that'll come out as a podcast uh, sometime in the future. Uh, we're doing a Minneapolis tomorrow. And that also will be a podcast sometime in the future. And we're going to be doing more of this touring over the next year to support... Uh, our community's project to reduce maternal mortality in Sierra Leone. So look for tour dates coming up. Thank you again for listening. This podcast is edited by Joseph Tuna Medish. Our head of community and communications is Victoria Bongiorno. We're produced by Rosiana Hals Rojas and Sheridan Gibson. Our editorial assistant is Deboki Chakravarti. The music you're listening to right now is by the great Gunnarola. And as they say in our hometown, don't, don't forget, forget to be, be awesome. awesome.